Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Gordon Stein. Gordon is a personal finance keynote speaker and author of the best-selling Cashflow Cookbook, a unique personal finance book that offers an approach to help readers add millions of net worth with minimal effort and sacrifice. The book has become a Toronto Star column, and his talks are in high demand. In my interview with Gordon, we discuss simple ways to save on the ongoing expenses of home ownership, factors to consider besides just the rate when shopping for a mortgage, and good DIY home repairs to tackle on your own, and when to call in the pros. Without further ado, here's my interview with Gordon Stein. Hi, Gordon. How are you doing today? Hey, great, Sean. Wonderful to have you. Uh, looking forward to a very interesting discussion on frugal living and ways to save in your everyday life. Sounds good. Let's get started. Awesome. Well, your book, Cashflow Cookbook, boasts $2 million of financial freedom in six easy recipes. Wow. You have an entire section in your book dedicated to housing costs. You start that section by saying, housing costs take up more than a quarter of the average Canadian household budget. It's time to put them on a diet. And I couldn't agree more. My first question for you is, coming home to a pile of uninsured ashes where your house used to stand certainly isn't fun as you write in your book, but having hundreds of dollars in insurance premiums, singeing your checking account each month isn't fun either. What are some of the easier ways to save on home insurance? Yeah, great one. I think the first idea is really just to shop around. People often have been with the same provider for years. They've never thought about it. They've never questioned it. And often their story is, well, I don't, don't have the time to make the phone call. But if you make the phone call, if you could save four or $500 a year by doing a bit of uh, comparison shopping, and it takes an hour to spend on the phone, $500 an hour is likely more than people make in their regular day jobs. So it's worth doing. I would start with doing some comparison shopping between some different companies. There's some online companies who can do that. If you do a little bit of search work, you can find them. And then once you're there, what you'll find is a really quite a significant difference in the premium cost. So not really that hard, depending on how big your premium is, to save 20 or 30%. You should be able to do that within an hour's worth of work. Other things to look at is if you're part of any kind of an affinity group, professional engineers, Ontario, certified management accountants, graduates of particular universities, they often have significant group savings. So you may want to check some of those groups that you're a part of to find out do they have any kinds of discounted insurance possibilities. A couple other things worth looking at is raising deductibles. It can make a big difference if you go from, say, a $500 deductible to a $1,000 deductible. And if you're in reasonable shape financially and you can handle the difference should you have a fire or some sort of other issue, you can be saving that money year after year after year. So that's a reasonable, manageable shift to make. 
couple more things. One would be combining home and auto can make a really big difference. Not unusual to see a 10% overall savings by getting home and auto with the same company. And the last one is I would take a look at what's the amount of insurance you have? What do you have down for the contents insurance for the value of rebuilding the property? And are those aligned with what you really need? So time to really have a hard look at that home insurance. Those are some great tips, Gordon, and certainly I think it makes sense more than ever to spend the time to shop around because with climate change, people have seen huge increases in their home insurance premiums. If you're not happy with the big increase notice that you get in the mail, certainly take time to shop around because that's less money going to your insurance company and more money that you can put towards paying down your mortgage sooner. As you write in your book, what's more fun than paying the gas bill? Anything and everything. I, I agree completely. With the average Canadian gas heating bill at $150 monthly, how can Canadians shave some dollars off their home heating bill? A similar idea to the home insurance, Sean. I think, first of all, get very interested in all of these recurring bills that you see. So I would say a, a good overall first step is to print off your credit card statement and print off your checking account statement and, and circle all or highlight all of those recurring costs, the home insurance, the heating bill. Those are the things you really want to go at aggressively because you're paying these bills month after month after month. So just to give you an idea, if you can do some of these things that we're talking about, if you could save $200 a month over 30 years, that would give you an extra quarter of a million dollars to retire with. So these are not small potatoes, the things we're looking at. So with that said, let's zero in now on the heating bill. One idea that I think is a great idea is a setback thermostat. So these are thermostats that in the wintertime will make the house a little bit cooler while you're sleeping. You're under the blankets anyway. You'll probably sleep better with the house a bit cool. And they'll turn them back up again in the morning. And these have gotten really inexpensive. You can do it manually, of course, yourself. But definitely worth doing that. Benefits of sleeping better and uh, saving on the bill. Not hard to save about 5 to 7% by setting the thermostat back a few degrees at night. And if you go all the way to a Wi-Fi thermostat, those can be great. Because what it means is you're headed off to the cottage or you're going away for a week and you say, geez, I didn't turn the temperature down or up depending on the season. You can set it from your phone. So this is very significant. Sometimes people have a cottage and they'll head off to the cottage with their house being air conditioned down to 68 for our American friends or you know maybe 17 or so for the Canadians. So getting a setback thermostat is one great way to take a look at. From a home heating perspective and air conditioning and as an engineer, the first thing you want to do is worry about infiltration of air, even more important than insulation. You can do something like a piece of Christmas tinsel on a stick. And on a windy day, just go around the door frames, the window frames, figure out where it's leaking. And weather stripping is very easy to do yourself. You can watch some YouTube videos on how to do it. But make sure that there isn't air leaking around the doors and the windows. Sometimes you'll see where pipes enter the house in the basement. There'll be a big gap and the wind is whistling through there. That can make a big difference. Not hard to do a 10% saving on the heating bill by tightening up the house and getting rid of some of those infiltration points. I would also take a look at the attic insulation. So often trying to insulate walls, particularly in an older home, is problematic. It involves some expensive contractors, etc. But attic insulation, because the heat wants to rise, can make a really big difference. You want to make sure that that attic is sealed. You don't have air coming into it through electrical boxes and so on. But getting extra insulation up there is worthwhile doing. This can be done quite inexpensively with a contractor. Again, a little shopping around. 
look at some of the online Google reviews. It's one you can tap for yourself, but you need to be careful. You don't fall through the drywall, so you need to be maneuvering around on the joist. So whether you do that third party or do it yourself, most people third party would be the answer, but that tends to have a very high payback. And if you want to go all the way, you can actually get a home energy audit and they can take a look at the camera with a thermal imaging to find out, hey, what are the big sources of heat loss in the home? But just getting interested in that, looking for some of these infiltration points, air whistling in, getting that thermostat set back, maybe you put on an extra sweater. Not hard to save 10%, maybe even as much as 15% by making some of these changes. Great advice. And speaking from personal experience, a couple of ways that I have managed heat in my property and just to make sure that everything's in working order, just mm-hmm. setting a reminder to change the furnace filter mm-hmm. every three to four months is a good idea because it's easy to lose track of that. And if you don't regularly change the furnace filter, you could do damage <laughs> to your furnace and that's going to cost you a lot of money in the, in the long run, uh, certainly if you have to pay someone to come in and repair your furnace. Also, some complaints that I've heard from people is that, oh, in, in the back of my house, it's cold back there, so I cranked up the heat. Well, the heating vents to get better airflow, if you're not in a certain room in the house, then just close that heating vent and it will help the airflow to the back bedrooms better. That way you don't have to necessarily crank up the heat a ton. It's just as simple as closing a heating vent. So I find that worked well in, in my situation. Mm-hmm. And I think this whole business really, Sean, just taking an interest in what these monthly bills look like, taking some action, making some changes. Hey, were we able to lower the bill? As, you, and as soon as you find these savings, this is really one of the central things in cash flow Cookbook is as soon as you find some of these savings, you find a way to save $25 a month on electricity, $50 a month on your home heating bill, whatever it may be, right away, commit that to either increase mortgage payments to get that mortgage paid down more rapidly, or if you're at a point where your mortgage interest is very low and the balance is small, maybe that's the time to start increasing investments in your tax-free savings account, or maybe a registered education savings plan for your children, or your own RSP, depending on your personal circumstances. But the pattern that we always talk about is get interested in these monthly recurring expenses, all of these things that we're talking about, And then as soon as you get that savings, lock it in for something beneficial. Otherwise, it'll go for more shoes or (laughs) more trips to Starbucks. Amen to that. Well, you also have some great advice on saving money on another utility, electricity. What are some of the best ways to save money on your hydro bill? Well, I think a real simple one, and I think it's a great place for people to start, is a trip to Lowe's or Home Depot and get a collection of LED bulbs for the home. And I would focus on the 10 most used bulbs in the home. Is it the kitchen? Is it the living room? Where are the lights on all the time? And just replace those bulbs. A lot of people don't want to do that because they feel that the light is too harsh or it's too bright. The key thing is when you buy the bulbs, you'll see there's three different colors. There tends to be a warm white, a daylight, and a cool white. So in most parts of the home, you want that soft light or warm light, and they are just as warm as the old incandescent bulbs but they typically use about 10% as much energy. So there's a 90% savings. In the summer, what people don't realize, if you have a 60-watt bulb burning, it's using about 6 watts to provide light, and the other 54 watts are heat. So if you have three of those going, it's like having a 150-watt baseboard heater running all the time in your house, then typically people are running their air conditioner to try and get rid of that heat. Well, this is all working against yourself. I would get at least 10 or maybe even 20, depending on the size of your house, 
LED bulbs, warm white is what you want to look for. The cost is just trivial. I would say if you put in 10 new ones, it would easily save you $25 a month. So there's a change everyone can do today. Get the bulbs, install them, and monitor the bill. And again, 10 of them should give you $25 a month. Boom, right away, let's increase our mortgage payment by $25, and you're making a big difference right off the bat. The other thing I would say in electricity is really focus on, those are, that's a very easy move to make, but if you really focus on some of the bigger consumers of energy, so the whole clothes, washing and drying is a big one. So can you reduce that? Particularly the dryer use. Back in the old days, they had this brilliant invention called a solar clothes dryer, also known as a clothesline. <laughs> Something people do, which I think is a great idea, particularly in apartments, if you're in an apartment or if you have a home with radiator, radiator heating, they tend to be really dry. They tend to be low on moisture. So one idea is you get a simple drying rack in the house, clothes come out of the washer, onto the drying rack. If you have a dry house or a dry apartment, here's a way to moisturize the house and dry your clothes at no cost whatsoever. So that's worth taking a look at. Again, Sean, to your point on filters, make sure that dryer lint trap is clean each time you do it. And in some cases in apartments, there'll be another lint trap that they can go and clean out, and that may be causing you to run your dryer longer than you need to. So that's worth taking a look. One other one that is interesting is this idea of phantom power. So a lot of appliances, TVs, etc., they tend to be smart, and they tend to be using electricity even when the appliance or the television set's not in use. So there's power bars you can get that sort of shut off so you eliminate that phantom power. If you're going to go away for two weeks, it might be wise to turn off the power bar that's running the computers, the TVs, the stereos, all of those kinds of things. So again, looking at some of the tips in the book, not hard to save $40, $50 a month on electricity with some very simple projects. I definitely like these tips and you don't have to be Mike Holmes or Bob Vila <laughs> handy like that to do these tips. So that's my favorite part. <laughs> exactly. Great. Well, switching gears, a major expense when buying a home is home furnishing. I mm-hmm. mean, it seems like whenever you move to a new property, you need to buy all new furniture. If you're going from a house to a condo or a condo to a house or just from one house to another, it always seems like you want to buy new furniture to fit the, the different rooms. But certainly buying furniture doesn't come cheap and it also doesn't have to be that way, spending a ton of money on furnishings, as I learned from your book, what are some of the best ways to get quality home furnishing at a discount? Yeah, I think it it goes for furnishing, Sean, but what I've discovered is it goes for almost anything you're going to buy. So I would say if you're in a situation where you need something, and this can range from a couch for your living room to a musical instrument to almost anything that you need to buy, I just love in Canada, I love Kijiji. And one of the complaints about Kijiji is, you know, oh my heavens, I got to sit through all of these different listings to try and find it. I'm just going to go and buy a new one. Well, furniture depreciates easily 50% as soon as you bring it home. Nobody wants your old couch, even if it's a month old, and you'll learn that if you ever try and sell something. But one of the interesting features in Kijiji, if you dig into it a little bit, they have alerts on there, and eBay does the same thing. So what you can say is, hey, I want this specific thing, and it'll email you when one comes up. Quick story, this was not furnishings, but it just illustrates the principle. I'm a guitar player, and I wanted to get a Fender American Standard Telecaster, and to get one out the door would be about $2,500 from a music store. So I thought, well, this is interesting. So I put out a Kijiji alert. I said, hey, I want a a maple-necked, black-bodied Fender American Standard Telecaster. And boom, within a day, a day or two, I had two or three of them, and I bought one for $1,000. 
versus paying $2,500 at a music store. And it was no more effort than, it was, in fact, it was less effort than driving out to the music store. In fact, the individual, you know, met me somewhere right near my home. This idea of Kijiji alerts, you know, you're looking for a, a brown leather sectional sofa, or you're looking for an oak dining table. And you get exactly what you want right to your inbox. It's brilliant. And so furniture is really something I would take a hard look at in terms of going out and spending money because the challenge is that typically it works in one house. And even after you spend all that money, you decide to move in a few years for a job. You don't want to move it to Calgary. You can get almost nothing for it. So really get aggressive when it comes to home furnishings. And there's a way you can make do while you're waiting to get that great piece. And of course, the other opportunity would be, you know, significant sales somewhere. But take the time. It's a little bit of a pause. And by being a little bit smarter on your shopping for furnishings, not hard to save 50% or even more. Great advice. And if you're lucky and you find somebody that really wants to unload furnishings, you might be able to convince them to drop it right off at your doorstep. So I think using websites like Craigslist and Kijiji are win-win. I mean, it's not as easy as just going to the store and picking something out and and paying with your credit card, but just for spending a few extra minutes, you can save yourself hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. So again, to your home insurance example, I certainly think it's worth the effort. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, you have a great chapter dedicated to your book on mortgages. Why are you a fan of using mortgage brokers and what other factors should somebody compare when shopping for a mortgage besides just the rate? Well, it'll start with a rate. I mean, the rate is a big one. And a lot of consumers don't realize that there is definitely wiggle room on those rates, either within the particular financial institution that you're at, or by working with a mortgage broker who can compare between multiple lenders. The last thing to do is to walk into a bank or financial institution, take the rack rate that you see on the sign, and sign up for your mortgage. And I would also add that just because you have your checking account and your credit cards and everything with Bank A, That's not a reason why you have to get the mortgage from Bank A. You can get the mortgage from Bank B, C, or D, or even better, I'd work through a mortgage broker, a registered mortgage broker, and get the most effective mortgage you can. Even if a difference of a quarter of a point can make a huge difference over the course of that mortgage. So beyond the rate, I think what's really important is to look at some of the other provisions that are involved in the mortgage. So one would be prepayment provisions. And you may look at it, you know, when you're 25 taking out a mortgage saying, well, I'm not really fussed about prepayment or rapid pay down provisions because I can barely make the payments. Well, that'll change, hopefully, for you as your career progresses and perhaps you have a spouse and they get some raises and over time you may find, hey, we've got the room, but you don't have the ability to do prepayments on it. So that I think is important. And the other thing is I talk about in Cashflow Cookbook is I would really be careful in terms of mortgage insurance. So The banks tend to sell it quite aggressively, but what you'll find is you can get an equivalent amount of term life insurance, let's say it's $500,000 mortgage. If you get $500,000 of mortgage life insurance through a financial institution, you'll be paying those same rates as the mortgage gets paid down. And it's expensive compared to term life insurance, but by the time you get down to your last payment or two, the benefit is only a few thousand dollars, but you're paying as if you're insuring $500,000. So much smarter, to shop around for some term life insurance of the same amount. And I strongly advise, I think it's a great idea to have some protection there for sure, to make sure your loved ones are protected in case you or your spouse were to pass away. But to do it the most effective way, and that typically is with some term life insurance or a term life 
insurance provider, not mortgage life insurance. It could be as much as six or seven times more expensive. So those are a few big ones to think about in the mortgage. Great points. And something else that I want to mention is mortgage penalties are a big one as well, because sometimes people say, oh, I want to go with the absolute lowest mortgage rate. But then the problem is that they end up having to pay a big penalty. For example, if they needed to refinance their mortgage or break their mortgage for whatever reason. And statistics say that Canadians on average around year three of their mortgage, they break it for whatever reason, whether it's selling their property or refinancing. And certainly if ask those questions up front about mortgage penalties and consider what are the chances that I might have to break my mortgage, then perhaps you you wouldn't have just gone for the mortgage with the lowest rates. So I certainly think asking about penalties up front is a good idea because Mm -hmm. you're probably not intending to break your mortgage anytime soon when you sign up. But certainly if you're signing up for five years, that's a long time and a lot can happen uh, during that time. So certainly ask about mortgage penalties. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. I think that's another reason where a mortgage broker can be very beneficial because they understand about mortgages. They can look at all of these terms and conditions and make sure that you're getting something that's a good fit. And they can point out things that you may not have thought of not being a mortgage professional. Great point. Switching gears from mortgages, similar to me, you're a big fan of DIY home repairs. And uh, as Red Green likes to say from the Red Green show, if the women don't find you handsome, they should at least find you handy. (laughs) What are some good home repair projects to tackle on your own, Gordon? Well, I mean, the first thing is when you're faced with a home repair, I think the first thing is just pause for a minute. You know, unless there's water gushing out or something, but just pause. What people tend to do is they tend to, you know, they've got a big home improvement or even a small one. Boom, they call something, they get the work started. So step one is if you're not handy and have no interest in it, it's just not your thing, as a minimum, do some shopping around. Get some recommendations, get three quotes on things. The number of times where I've had a project that was beyond my scope, and just by making three phone calls, get three people out, just take a little bit of extra time. Not unusual to end up with a much better repair and not unusual to see it at half the price. And make sure you get those references and look on you know, Google reviews, etc. There's never been a better time to get smarter on that. At the same time, I think it's really important for everybody to build out a bit of a, a basic skill set of things that they can do. Can they hang a picture? Can they repair a leaky faucet? And again, there's never been a better time to learn all of these things because there's YouTube videos on everything you can imagine. I had, just give you a personal situation, I had a refrigerator and my ice maker quit working. The natural thing would be to pick up the phone and call Sears or whatever. And when the dust clears, we all know it's going to be a $250, $300 bill, almost no matter what. That's almost with open parts because it's very expensive. A little bit of YouTube work. I think there's one called Appliance Repair as an example. And they show you almost down to every make and model how to fix these things. And so I looked up the ice maker repair. And it's really just a matter of removing the old ice maker, a couple of screws to undo. There's a little connector that you unclip for the power for the ice maker. Yeah, order a new one from any of the online appliance parts providers, of which there's many. Fridge will have a serial number and a model number on it. Get the ice maker. So I bought it online. I plugged it back in. I put it back in with two screws. I was all done. The part was like $67. It was probably faster and easier than actually calling somebody. So many ways to do it. One other quick example, I put in some ceramic tile floor and I had to cut back my carpet because the whole area was carpeted originally. And then I had this issue of, well, what do I, how do I hold down the end of the carpet? 
And so I thought, hmm, I guess I gotta call a carpet guy to sort of finish that end off. Anyway, again, YouTube video, there's a little strip you can buy at Home Depot or Lowe's. Uh, it's to do exactly that. All you do is you screw this little strip down onto the flooring, and then you use a little putty knife and you just push the carpet in, and it's a professionally finished edge. And it was super fun. The cost of the strip, I think, was six or seven dollars versus bringing in a carpet person. So those are the things to do. The YouTube videos are great. I would also say if you have a project that's getting done, ask the handy person or the trades person, hey, can you watch as they do it? Or do they need an assistant? Can you hold things for them while they work? Could that be a way to lower the bill? But again, to build this library of knowledge of how to do these different home repair ones. I would caution against electrical repairs. I think those are best left to the professionals to save your life and those of your loved ones. It's not a hobby. <laughs> Putting in fixtures, fine, but I think anything beyond that, I think it's smart to have a licensed electrician there. The, the risks are just too great. But learning how to build decks and you know how to repair railings and all the kinds of things that you often see, squeaky hinges, doors not shutting, learning how to do those kinds of things, so many videos, so much information out there, definitely worth taking a look. So many great words of wisdom and speaking from personal experience, I mean, I've saved myself plenty of money over the years, like my oven stopped working one day and it's like a 1989 Sears oven and amazingly, it's still working, but I just basically went and replaced one of the elements called like a store and got a replacement part and it was easy as possible. I mean, it wasn't difficult at all, but further to your point, there's certainly certain projects that you shouldn't tackle yourself. Like when I purchased my home, I, I guess the last homeowner was a bit of a handyman, do-it-yourself kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And he installed a light switch and, and light in the fruit cellar. But the problem is he didn't do it properly. And he actually put staples through the power wire. So mm -hmm. one time when my father turned on the light, sparks went everywhere and almost created a fire. So certainly, as, as you mentioned, I would caution against doing electrical work because you can actually take the value down in, in your property because if you do these projects yourself and they're not mm -hmm. done properly, when the inspector sees it, when you go to sell your property, it, it could hurt the value of your property. So certainly, as you said, some projects, it, it makes sense to handle yourself, but stuff like uh, when it comes to electricity, definitely leave that to the professionals, I would say. I think so, yeah. Now, we focused a lot on home expenses today, but your book also has some good non-home ideas to free up cash to pay down your mortgage, and they are often the ones that we don't think of. Can you share some of your best ideas with our listeners in terms of that? Cashflow Cookbook, there's a total of $13,000 of monthly savings idea, and yes, you heard that correctly. And it really, I took a look at every aspect I researched it for two years. Hey, what are the things to do? Minimal effort, minimal sacrifice that can really make a difference. So again, and some of them are quite surprising. One of the ones that I learned about that really shocked me was around clothing, which kind of has nothing to do with housing, but there's so much savings to be had there that you could make a very material difference. So here's some numbers. And this one shows up again and again in the research. People only ever wear 20% of the clothing that they buy which is hard to believe. And usually when I'm up on the stage speaking, people go, what, how can that be? And then they think about it and they go, yeah, actually that probably is true. If you don't believe me, take a look in your closet, look at all the things that you maybe have never worn or have hardly touched in many, many years. And what you'll see is the vast majority of the clothing we buy, we never wear or we maybe wear it once. And so getting more mindful in our clothing shop can make a huge difference. So just to give you an idea, the average Canadian spends about 6% of the gross income on clothing. 
So that means someone who's making $100,000 a year, a household income of $100,000 a year, $6,000 a year is spent on clothing. And that means that $1,200 of it ever gets worn, which means that $4,800 of it ends up at Goodwill or a thrift shop or gets sold for five cents on the dollar at a yard sale. That's a massive amount of money. $4,800 a year going to a mortgage pay down would make a big difference. I would say in clothes shopping, it's really about being mindful. And if you think about it, you could double the money you spend on the clothes you're actually going to wear. So you have a, you actually have a better wardrobe while drastically slashing your clothing expenditure, as strange as that sounds. So there's an easy three, four, five thousand dollars a year right there. That's bigger than really any of the other ideas that we've talked about today to free up cash. People say I don't have money. Actually, I think everybody has all kinds of money. They just need to get more mindful on the spending. So that's a really big one to take a look at. And I would say if you need, if you're thinking about going to the mall, don't go to the mall. You know, look at your closet. What is it you need? You have a brown pair of shoes you never wear because you need a brown belt. Great. Then buy a brown belt because that's an item that you need for your wardrobe and get a great one. No problem. Spend the money. But don't go to the mall and you're going to end up buying two more blue shirts and you forgot about the two you already had in your closet. So don't start at the mall. Start with an inventory of what you need. The other big area that's an interesting one is the whole storage areas. And you see these storage places popping up all over the place, and they're gorgeous. Some of them like be ready to move into them. But a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll, they'll downsize their house. They have too much furniture, and they'll, they'll rent one of these storage lockers. And they're not cheap, three, four, five, six, even $700 a month. And they'll put all their furniture, and they'll leave it for years. They'll forget all about it. It's coming out of their checking account, or it's coming out of their credit card. And then what, of course, happens is five or 10 years later, they open it up and they moved again. And of course, you know, the furniture didn't work in the next house. It's not going to work in the house after that. Really take a hard look at that and really get rid of the clutter. It's a bit like Marie Kondo talks about in her Netflix show. People just have all the stuff hanging around. They don't use it. When you're driving out in suburban areas and the double garage or the triple garage doors are open and they're just jammed with old kids' toys and the kids are off at university. So I think getting smarter, clearing out all of this excess junk, not paying for storage lockers is another great place to save. Perfect. Well, Gordon, it's been great having you on the show today. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, a couple things. I'm working on the U.S. edition of Cashflow Cookbook because I've been spending more time in the U.S. There's a lot of interest in it down there. And I would say to your listeners, great ideas to go on to cashflowcookbook.com and feel free to subscribe. I don't spam you. I won't sell your information to the Russians or anything. <laughs> but I put out uh, blog posts with all kinds of new ideas all the time, ways to save money. Everything on the site is free, of course, uh, unless you want to get a copy of the book. You can get Cashflow Cookbook on Amazon, or you can get it directly on my site, cashflowcookbook.com, and lots of other tools and uh, ideas for building your wealth. And I just close with the key concept is really getting everyone to track their net worth. What do you own minus what you owe? What's happening with that number? If you don't know it, there's some free templates on my site to start to track that. And I think that's the key to building wealth. If you do that, then you're going to get very interested in these recurring expenses and ways to grind them down, minimal effort, minimal sacrifice, but build your best life and build that whole notion of financial fitness, financial wellness, and enjoy. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, coworkers, 
or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at Sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning. (laughs) 